Our first scripture reading this morning made a bold claim about who we are. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, together, you and I and all those who are joining us online, we are the work of God. And not only is the work of God very good, it is also meant to do good, to be a part of God's goodness in this world. The author to the Ephesians suggests that was the purpose of our creation and that the good works which we do are the very things God has prepared for us to do. In saving us by grace through faith, God has now set us free to do that work which in sin and by the power of death we could not do before. But now we can. What tremendously good news. But if we were created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, then maybe we see a problem because not all of us are pastors and surely this is the only good work that there is. Not all of us can do the jobs which we think of when we first think of people who do good works. Healthcare professionals who heal, lawyers who seek justice, teachers who share knowledge and perhaps even wisdom, first responders who aim to sacrifice for the sake of others. What about those of us who work in jobs which we might regard as mundane and ordinary, professions which do not seem to be characterized by the goals of the gospel of Jesus, places where good works are not usually apparent or are seldom lauded and celebrated? That's most of us, that's most of the church. And so if we were created for the purpose of good works, there must be something that we're not seeing. For these great many of us are the good works which God created us for somehow only confined to those few waking hours which fit between our busy schedules of everything else which fills our days. Did God create us only for the purpose of joining his mission during those times when our children are down for a nap, only when our house is finally fully clean, only after everybody else has signed out of teams for the day, only after that long bus ride finally drops us back in our neighborhood. Is it only those few hours that God has given us for good works? By no means. If we were created for the purpose of good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, if that is meant to be the primary reality of our lives, then it ought to be something that permeates every aspect of our living, even Monday to Friday, even 9 to 5, even whatever those hours are for you which are your busiest. It is probably for this reason that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made the remarks which were shared this week in the weekly email and are on the front cover of the bulletin, where he says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. 
to do our work, our work, whatever it may be, faithfully, to do it well, is a fundamental component of the Christian life. As Colossian reminds us that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, it should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do, we ought to be able to do in Jesus' name and with thanksgiving to God. Whether that's stocking a shelf or helping a customer, whether it's debugging some code, writing a paper, or tucking in our child, all of these things done in Jesus' name, all of these things done with thanksgiving to God. And here some of you may be thinking, Nick, that sounds nice and all, but my work is uniquely removed from the good work which God must have for me to do. Those words of the song, the place of your toil may not feel like a home, that's me. That's me almost every day. How could I possibly be glad to have my days occupied as they are when I could be doing something that is so much more obviously part of that good work of our God? And here I must remind us all that the Apostle Paul was a tent maker by trade. And he worked that trade faithfully. We don't read much about it because we see the other parts of his work. But God used this work of his to support his life, to support his ministry, and to actually bring him into relationships with others with whom he could partner for the sake of the gospel, like Aquila and his wife Priscilla, also tent makers making tents. That probably wasn't one of the kinds of good works you were imagining when we were imagining some professions we could talk about. It's not the kind of good works which spring to mind for us immediately in our list of admirable professions. But good work done faithfully, nevertheless. Paul's tent making and his Christian ministry, these things were connected to one another. Yes, the money from selling tents served his preaching in the synagogues, but there was a goodness and a purpose to the tent-making in and of itself. Paul didn't stop participating in God's good work while he made tents. He didn't put his Christian life on vocation on hold because of his trade. These things were tied together. And nor did he begrudge the reality that he was called to work his trade as part of his life of faithful service. So this is what we're going to be doing in the month of October together. We're going to be seeking to imagine our lives of faith and our lives as, of work as something that actually connect with one another. Why it matters that sweets, street sweepers and doctors, musicians, and even pastors all alike should do their work faithfully and well to see some of the glimpses of the kingdom which Christians working in various ways in our world have a unique opportunity to catch and to magnify, as well as some of the perils that are present in our various works that we must also pay attention to. You may remember about a month ago on Labor Day Sunday, I asked you to consider what professions you'd like to hear about in this series and what questions you had about them. And about half of all the people that responded said that they wanted to hear about faith and work 
in tech-related fields. So these are the professions that we'll begin this series with. But note that while I may be using some of the particularities of these professions in the sermon today, the lessons which we can hear apply to all kinds of work and to all of Christian living. We needn't look very far to extol the virtues of technology. As a year and a half in a pandemic, technology has made it possible for vast numbers of people to telecommute to work and decrease viral transmissions, or to keep families and friends, even churches, connected to one another during their inability to see each other in person. We can appreciate how technology has made the world increasingly accessible and navigable for those with disabilities, or made so much knowledge free and available to those who otherwise may have never had the means to access these resources. We also don't need to look very far to know the great dangers of technology, especially the technology that we have access to and use every day. As much as it draws people together, it can also harm genuine human relationships in favor of cheaper, simpler relations and cause great confusion even in the means of communicating. I'm sure we've all sent an email that was just dramatically misinterpreted by the other person. It distances us as much as it brings us together. And as much as it makes information readily available, it allows disinformation to spread with a rapidity which I think we could have scarcely imagined. And as much as it can solve certain problems, it also lends itself to the false belief that it can solve every problem, that technology will ultimately be our salvation, when all of us know that that will never be true. And those who work in tech-related fields, whether they're inputting data or they're analyzing the results of some A-B testing, whether they're designing a website UI or fixing an especially nasty bug in a program, all these people are at the nexus of a really crucial and important cultural reality with questions that are fundamental to our society and that are uniquely in their hands. How will we shape the technology which we use? How will the data which we acquire and we collate and collect, how will these things be interpreted? How will the services which we create serve human flourishing? These are questions which must be wrestled with, most especially by those who work in this arena. And if they are not, then we will soon find that instead of shaping technology, that we are being unwittingly shaped by it ourselves. Instead of wisely interpreting data, we are harming people by its misapplication. And instead of serving people, we have created systems that are instead served by its users, customers as the product. For as much as the internet, social media, and computers are relatively new to us, and certainly new in the history of the church, this wrestling with technology, it's far from new. Almost 600 years ago, the invention of the printing press caused two great waves in the church. I think most of us know about one. But before that one, shortly after the printing press was first invented, when the Roman Catholic Church began to use it, print indulgences. 
indulgences were originally documents which had to be written by hand by a pope or a bishop to grant the absolution of sins, plenary sins. But now these documents could be mass-produced on these printing presses. And not only mass-produced, they could be sold at a bargain rate to the common person. And this was a great fundraising campaign for the church. We Protestants would rightly note that this was clearly a negative impact of technology on our world. But the second wave is the one that most of us are far more familiar with. And it also was only made possible by this printing press, as the German reformer Martin Luther was able to respond against the printing of indulgences, and using the same tool, he proliferated his teachings and widely spread his new translation of the New Testament for the first time in German, which sold 5,000 copies in its first two weeks in print, which was astounding for that time. The first best-selling author, really. And Luther once remarked, printing is the ultimate gift of God and the greatest one. I wonder, can we say that same thing about the internet or social media or or whatever technology we're familiar with? Can we say that it is a gift of God? Or could we even be so bold as to say that it is even the ultimate and the best gift of God? In many ways, we may hope to. Yet, like the printing press before it, we can see so plainly the ways that sin has misshapen even a gift which ought to be for our good. Yet the printing press went on to be one of the most important evangelistic tools of the next 400 years. And Christian writing was by far its most common use. How can the technology which we wrestle with today not only be tools that are leveraged by corporations, not only be places where vices run amok, but how can these things also be a benefit to the church? What skills do those who work with technology most closely have that can aid in the mission of the church in Toronto and around the world? How are you helping the church respond to the misuses of technology by leveraging its many benefits for better purposes? Just a couple weeks ago, the press was full of stories announcing Facebook knows Instagram is toxic for teen girls, company documents show. We've all known this for a long time. But perhaps in our naivety or our goodwill, we maybe wish that Facebook didn't know. But they know. And it continues, and it's evil. A company which says that it's trying to draw the world closer together that's trying to build community is knowingly and actively harming the mental health of children. And surely with this, we can begin to see why it is important for Christians to do good works which God has prepared for them, even and especially those who work with technology. In the book of Hosea, God says, for I desire mercy not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. If we want our work to be part of our worship, 
It should be worship how God wants us to worship, which means seeking out mercy and justice. And there's plenty of that that needs to be sought in tech. Whether it's just advocating for a small change that will make a website more accessible for somebody who uses a screen reader, or it's ensuring a user's data is secure and used appropriately, or if it's actually being in a position to articulate the importance of caring more completely for the people who use the devices and services which we develop. It is mercy, not sacrifice, which God desires from us all. Somebody told me this week that the Bible doesn't say much about technology. And as far as what we would call technology, the Bible doesn't say anything. There's not a word about YouTube or smartphones. It doesn't say anything about microchips or camera sensors. Not a peep about PHP or C++. But the Bible does speak about technology. In the reading which we heard from the book of Job, we get a wonderful example. It's unclear who might have said the words of the poem which we heard. This chapter stands out from the rest of the book of Job as something quite unique. But in it is an exploration of the technology of the day, digging and excavating for silver, gold, iron, and copper. Last week, Nestor mentioned the cutting-edge technology, which was in Genesis 11, of brick baking. And now we see a little bit of the next branches in the tech tree of mining, smelting, and forging. We hear that the work of miners puts an end to darkness, searching out the farthest bound, that they open shafts in a valley away from human habitation, they are forgotten by travelers. They sway suspended remote from people. It seems that putting an end to darkness continues to be the goal of so much of our technological endeavors. No longer literal darkness revealed by shafts in the earth and torches in the farthest places, but now a metaphorical darkness. New goals of connecting people better than we ever have before of understanding our world more completely than we ever thought was possible, of sharing knowledge more freely than any of us could have hoped. These are good goals of bringing light to dark places. And much as those who mind at the time when this scripture was written, those who develop and design and maintain technology of all sorts have brought light to many hidden things, some of it for good, and some of it for ill. But the question of the poet remains the question of our day. We haven't solved this in all these years. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Wisdom, it won't be found in algorithms or in analytics. The place of understanding, I believe we can confidently attest, is not the internet. Indeed, wisdom and understanding are hidden from the eyes of all living. Even destruction and death itself can only say that they have heard rumor of such things. Their, the pride of humanity continues to be to seek out wisdom and understanding and that next boundary that we can cross, 
to seek understanding in a fruit forbidden for us to touch, let alone to eat, to seek it in a great city and a tower to the heavens, to seek it in the depths of the earth and the farthest reaches of the sea, to seek it at a microscopic scale, to seek it in electrons and transistors, to seek it in data and information, to seek out wisdom and understanding, to discover it for ourselves, to leverage it to solve the problems which we now know, to rid ourselves of every bit of darkness. We desire to solve problems with technology and again and again believe that every problem can be solved by our determination, by our ingenuity, by our genius, by enough time or code or testing. But this is not wisdom. And in this place lies far more frustration than understanding. Christians who work with technology, perhaps more than many of us, need to remember these words of this poet in Job. God understands the way to wisdom, and he alone knows the place of understanding. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned out the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to humankind, truly, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to, and to depart from evil is understanding. For our brothers and sisters who work with technology, this is a difficult task. To at the same time believe that the work which you're doing is good and important, that it can mean something to the people which it should serve, that you can be a part of making a resource which God has allowed for, a gift which has been given to us better. And yet, at the same time, to acknowledge in humility that not every problem can be solved by human intelligence or willpower, that wisdom and understanding will not be the result of this project or the next one. But these things are only the work of the Lord and only available to us as we seek his face most sincerely. So whether you're working in a place that develops or designs technology, or you work in a place that uses technology deeply, or perhaps you're a Luddite and a technological skeptic. God offers the same invitation to us all. Seek to worship God in your work by seeking mercy earnestly. Search out wisdom and find fear of the Lord. Find the place of understanding and depart from evil. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to leave time for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. To speak to you about your use of technology, to speak to you about your work and how you relate to these things. And so a few questions for you to consider, and we'll give you a couple of minutes to pray about these things, to journal about these things. Um, if you're at home watching online, to maybe talk about them with your family, your friends that you're watching with. The first question is, how do you see technology being used 
to reveal God's kingdom today. And then the second sort of the opposite. What danger or even evil of contemporary technology are you especially aware of? And finally, an invitation to pray for Christians who work in tech fields, that they would seek first wisdom and understanding and trust God in their work. So we'll give you a couple of minutes to pray about these things. just a few seconds we'll come to the table together and so we want to give time if you're joining us online on the live stream we want to give you a little bit of time to get your bread to get your juice to prepare to receive communion at home and if you're here in the sanctuary we want, we want to give you a few seconds to make sure that you have elements in front of you in your pew in a little pre-packaged container and if you don't um, just to raise a hand and the ushers will make sure that you get some soon <laughs> 